pleased to hear your voice. He paused for effect. One last time. For heaven's sake, don't start all this suicide business again. I can't take it. Truthfully? I wished with all my heart that he would follow through on his threats. Just get a gun and go out in the backyard and shoot himself. Put himself and the rest of us out of this drenching misery. Occasionally I thought about shooting him myself. Wait a minute, I said. Wait a minute. Let me get a little squared away here. But, he began, hold on, hold on, just give me a second. God damn it, Kick. Don't put down the phone. Please, he sobbed. But it didn't move me. I laid the receiver on the table. I used to lay it down gently and soundlessly, but now I just put it there. If the receiver hitting the tabletop made a clatter into his ears, well, it did. I pushed myself up against the headboard and snapped on my bed lamp, turning my pink and champagne paisley room into a comforting and serene friend. I tugged my satin nightgown loose from around my legs. Then I got all my covers neatly arranged, combed my fingers through my streaky blonde hair, and lit a cigarette. I always have to have everything in place before I can do anything properly. Listen, cook, take a note. Really, anything at all. But once I'm set, I'm set. There isn't anybody more rapt than I when the situation demands it. This one did not. As I reached for the phone, I spotted a stash of chocolate mint wafers under the curved edge of the ashtray and slipped one of the luscious little square green and brown sandwiches into my mouth, where it began to melt almost immediately. A creamy little bite with the mind-clearing snap of mint, the ideal remedy for the situation at hand. Back, I said. All I could hear was the sound of him struggling for composure. My tongue forced the soft chocolate into the roof of my mouth until it formed an even coating. I ate another. I can't do it any more, kick. Oh, I didn't even try to keep the boredom out of my voice. I tucked the receiver under my chin, reached for the new issue of Country Life I'd brought home from the office, and flipped through it looking for our ad. There it was, Mrs. Baker's glorious ruby cabochon and round diamond necklace shining from the page like a bonfire scheduled to be auctioned after the first of the year. What a magnificent piece it was, a true work of art with each pea-sized cabochon fashioned as a blossom resting in diamond petals. I hoped some very lucky lady got it, not some heartless dealer who would break it down for the stones and melt the platinum and gold to use for something else. God, I hate all of this, Benjamin wailed. I hate him. I hate his tight Italian suits and those god-awful cheesy diamond cufflinks and shiny ties. I hate that goddamn slick-back hair and his whore of a wife. I hate his commonness, his lack of class. I hate the way he hates me, the contempt on his face when I'm speaking. I want to slap him, teach him some respect. Benjamin, please, I yawned. Let's talk about the future. Why don't you retire, become chairman emeritus? I noticed a little snag on my embroidered silk coverlet, retrieved a small pair of sewing scissors out of the bed table drawer, and clipped it. There's no shame in that. You can get a little place in the country and get away from everyone. Stop the fight. It's destroying you. It's not worth it. 
I'll die before I quit. I didn't say a word. I took a last drag of my cigarette and puffed out a chain of smoke rings, a singularly unbecoming skill no lady should perform in public, and believe me, I don't. But at the moment, there wasn't much else to do. I even feel you pulling away from me. It's written all over your face. That's all right. I don't blame you. But you know I can't retire and leave the house of Ballantyne in the hands of an outsider. Especially an Irishman. The concept of the Irishman threw him into a new fit of sobbing. As far as he was concerned, he might as well have sold to Satan himself. I flipped two more pages. Good. Our ad was much better than Sotheby's. Better piece of jewellery, better layout and lighting, better photography. There's been a ballantine at the helm since 1740. The burden of 260 years of family tradition coming to an end on my watch is more than I can bear. I don't know what else to do. I can't see any way to win. He sounded lost and far away. The words had already formed themselves inside my mouth to say, For heaven's sake, Benjamin, get a goddamned hold of yourself. Act like a man for a change. But the explosion reverberated into my ear as unexpectedly as a car crash. I never heard or saw it coming. Then there was nothing but echoing silence. I held the silent receiver for I'm not sure how long, my mind a complete blank, until I heard Sylvia's shrill voice trumpeting down the stairs, so piercing it was scarcely muffled by the closed library doors. Benjamin? Benjamin? What are you doing now? You woke me up out of a dead sleep. Benjamin, answer me. I heard the deep rumble of the heavy pocket doors sliding open. Benjamin, do you have any idea what time it is? Oh, my God! My breathing was shallow, tentative. I hung up the phone. It was over. I was free. Two. I suppose I was in shock, but I felt surprisingly calm and happy. No, not happy. Relieved. I leaned against the headboard and lit another cigarette and had another chocolate and just looked around, knowing that for the first time in my life, I was in control of my life. The lightness was amazing. I was floating. It's just me. When the merger had been completed and Owen Brace had taken over, it took less than seventy-two hours to see how completely unworkable the arrangement was between him and Benjamin. The two men could scarcely bear the sight of one another. While not terribly far apart in age, when it came to vision and energy, Owen was waxing at fifty-four and Benjamin waning at sixty-five. The men were polar opposites. Owen Brace, a self-made man, Irish-American, one of the most successful international takeover artists in the history of business, was a high-speed adrenaline addict and a notorious slash-and-burn specialist. The energy and power he exuded were so tangible he seemed to suck all the oxygen from the air around him. Regardless of Benjamin's jealous accusations that Brace was cheesy and common, both of which applied to a significant degree, he was also dashing and debonair, and dangerous. If he were a sportsman, I think he would have been a fencing master, 
but as far as I could tell, the only sport he loved was business. Oh, and sex. If he wasn't on the phone or in a meeting, he was in a bed. Well-born Sir Benjamin Ballantyne, on the other hand, an Englishman through and through, was polite, patrician, a gentleman, duty-bound by his mother's archaic Victorian upbringing. His low-key, amicable style that lured clients to Ballantyne and company, his self-deprecating sense of humour and workmanlike talent on the auction floor had not withstood the test of time. They belonged to another world. Dust was piled on their shoulders. He was unable to make the leap to accommodate what twenty-first-century customers required. His stubborn refusal to grow or adapt pushed him deeper and deeper into depression and dragged the company and its demoralized staff down with him. The only thing that kept Owen and Benjamin from coming to blows was me. Their senior executive assistant caught literally in the middle of the ancien and nouveau regime. Fortunately for all of us, I'm more stable than most people. I can carry a lot on my broad shoulders. Because I'd been with the firm for what was now decades and become a mother figure to Benjamin, although I was significantly younger, it was justifiable to see why my loyalties had lain with him. But finally my battle standard flagged. He robbed me of my sleep every night. I was exhausted. My tiredness grew in direct proportion to his tiresomeness. He'd become excruciating and infuriating, making me regret my pledge to his father, my late beloved deus ex machina, Sir Cramner Ballantyne, that I would keep an eye on his aging, ineffectual son, not to let him stray off into troubled waters. Even more importantly, I'd sworn not to let him run Ballantyne and company into the ground,